Welcome to the first episode of the Kindred Spirits Book Club, where two grown-ass ladies geek out about Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> I'm Reagan Duffy. I live in Los Angeles with my husband, my nine-year-old daughter, and far too many pets. You guys do not have time to hear about the number of pets I have. I'm a therapist, and I'm a lifelong reader. Very early on in life, I fell in love with that feeling of falling into a book, into a different world, into somebody else's story. And books were there for me no matter what I was going through, and they just still continue to be a huge part of my life. I'm Kelly Gurner. I am a SoCal native, also living in LA with my husband and with two and a half corgis. The half is because one is a mix. I not have, because he's half a dog? Not because he's half a dog. I have three dogs. So my passion is reading. I do a fair amount of it as part of my job as an attorney, and I'm also always eager to come home and curl up with a book. Books have long been my preferred method of self-care and have been a gateway for me, not just to other worlds and walks of life, but also to real world friendships like this one. Yeah. Books as self-care, 100%. So Kelly and I have been friends for about 13 years now. We met on a forum dedicated to talking about fancy soap. As you and- did. Yeah, fancy soap. That's that's our origin story. And as groups met up offline, as they were wont to do, we met and started immediately building a friendship. And that was cemented when our respective boyfriends at the time became our respective husbands, and they turned out to have a lot in common as well. Since then, we've been there for each other through wedding drama, <laughs> baby moves, career changes, death and grief, infertility, and mostly lots and lots of book discussions. Books were probably the first thing that connected us, and they've been one of the primary on-ramps to all of our favorite conversations. They've always been a source of joy in the center of our friendship, I think. So that leads us to this podcast where we can't wait to talk about Anne of Green Gables, about Ella Montgomery, and what I'm going to start calling the Montgomery verse. And we're going to spend some time today and moving forward talking about what these classic stories mean to us. Anne Shirley once famously said, kindred spirits are not so scarce as I used to think. It is splendid to find out that there are so many of them in the world. We chose that as the motto for this book club, one in which we find kindred spirits in fictional characters and in our real world friendships. And we decided to start this podcast to explore more about why Anne of Green Gables and so much of Ella Montgomery's writing has drawn us each in and has also been sort of the connecting thread in our friendship. So Kelly, tell us about your first first experience reading Anne of Green Gables and why it's a story that's close to your heart. Gladly, gladly. So I just turned 40. And that means that I was almost (laughs) and as as you do when you turn 40, you start a podcast. (laughs) So I think it's right up there, right? Yeah. (laughs) Some people get tattoos or piercings, some people start a podcast. Yeah, I'll probably do all three. So, you know, this is just the first one. But because of that, uh, because I was born in the early 1980s, I was almost the exact right age to fall in love with the much beloved Anne of Green Gables miniseries that was produced by Kevin Sullivan for the CBC. 
I think that premiered in the United States on PBS in 1986. It eventually inspired a couple of sequels and a show called Road to Avonlea. And all of that was just sort of in the ether while I was growing up and also more or less in constant replay on the Disney Channel, which was one of the few channels I was allowed to watch as a kid. (laughs) I'm not sure. I, I honestly have trouble remembering when I actually picked up the novel for the first time. I can picture the novel clear as day. It was you know, that old kind of like Bantam edition with the sort of black cover and a picture of um, Megan Follows as Anne on it, uh, sitting at the train station in her yellow dress. Yeah, although I can picture the book, I can't totally remember how old I was, but I suspect that it was probably third or fourth grade, probably when I was right around your daughter's age, Reagan. And I was thinking about it, thinking about how Anne was kind of like, you know, just sort of in the atmosphere at that time. And think, Anne had saw this real popularity in the 80s and 90s, and it was all of a piece with that sort of general trend for Victoriana, which was really big at that time. When I think about the 80s, I think of those gorgeous Laura Ashley dresses, and so much of that fashion and decor was like that neo-Victorian, super romantic, ultra frilly floral prints and lace and gingham and ducks. <laughs> Did your mom have ducks yeah. in her kitchen, Reagan? I feel like everyone's <laughs> mom had ducks in her kitchen in like the late 80s and early 90s. <laughs> mm, I don't know if we had ducks in our kitchen, but I do know I had a Holly Hobby lunchbox. There you go, right? Holly Hobby was part of that as well. Um, you know, all of that vibe just kind of came together. I think it was probably a response to some of the cultural excess of that era, this sort of yearning for simplicity, like back to like a farmhouse life and and just fit so perfectly into that. So it really was this like zeitgeist moment where it's the right, you know, it was the right material at the exact right time. So as a kid, I read constantly and I definitely loved all those plucky heroines of classic children's literature. Sarah Crewe from A Little Princess, Mary Lennox from The Secret Garden, Laura Ingalls from Little House on the Prairie, Joe March from Little Women, Fern Arable from Charlotte's Web. I mean, these are all of my literary sisters, but Anne really felt like someone who I knew personally. I connected with her on a pretty intense level. I was also a very imaginative kid who used daydreams as a way to escape some of the chaos and trauma of my early childhood and so you know much as Anne did and so I saw so much of myself in her and reading her stories as a kid felt kind of like permission to be exactly as fanciful as I needed to be to make my world feel like a more welcoming and safe place and so One of the things that I specifically remember connecting to Anne around is actually with respect to religion and faith. I was raised in a very religious home and I often really struggled with it. Um, You know, as a kid, of course, you want to be good and, and follow what your parents say. I wanted to be a good, faithful kid, but there were so many discrepancies that didn't seem reconcilable in my mind. And I remember reading the passage where Anne is talking to Marilla about prayer and she says, why must people kneel down to pray? If I really wanted to pray, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd go out into a giant big field all alone or in the deep, deep woods, and I'd look up into the sky, up, up, up into that lovely blue sky that looks as if there was no end to its blueness. And then I'd just feel a prayer. 
that was one of those moments, one of those really memorable moments from my childhood where I felt like that was something that made sense to me. That's really beautiful. Anyway, your turn, friend. (laughs) So I think a little bit like you, I almost can't remember when I first read Anne of Green Gables. It's one of those things where kind of all of your childhood literary kind of companions sort of just seemed like they were always there. Kind of like the Wizard of Oz. Like I really don't remember the first time I saw the Wizard of Oz, but I've always known the Wizard of Oz story. So I really feel that way about Anne of Green Gables. And I know that like you, the book and the Canadian miniseries are very connected in my early experience, but I'm not entirely sure which came first, whether I'd read it and then watched it or vice versa. And also like you, I read all of those classic children's books, particularly the ones I think that are targeted towards girls. But Anne was the one that I returned to the most. I read Little Women. I read The Secret Garden, The Little House books, all the Oz books. And I liked them all, but I didn't reread them over and over again the way I did with Anne. Um, At this point in my life, I don't think I can even count how many times I've reread Anne of Green Gables itself and all the other books in her series. I think part of it is how rich and layered the books are. Every time I reread them, I notice something new. They don't get old upon rereading for me. And Anne is such a layered character as well. As a child, I really related to her, like the, her romantic, dramatic way of looking at the world. I just felt all of those big feelings that she was so good at talking about. But as I grew older, I was really able to see why Anne is so funny and the humor in Anne and the way that Ella Montgomery doesn't let Anne take herself too seriously. And she doesn't always take Anne too seriously, but is always very, but kind of respects her as well. And like lots of other bookish girls, I really saw myself in Anne and aspired to the way that Anne really doesn't ever let other people stop her from being herself. And the cool thing with Anne is because she has so many books that follow her throughout her life, I felt like I was able to grow up with Anne. I think for some of those other books, I always want to know what happened next. And one of the great things about the Anne books is she told you what happened next. So I was able to have her as a a peer and a friend when I needed that. And as an older sister or older aunt when I needed that too, as someone to look up to. So did you do the thing? I definitely did this where as I moved through different phases of my life, I would read the corresponding Anne book. Like I remember clearly before I went off to college, rereading Anne of the Island to be like, yes, this is going to be like my life at Redmond College, <laughs> making all my friends. Absolutely. I. It's funny that you even mentioned Anne of the Island in college, because I'm pretty sure when I was in college, that was the one I reread the most Yes, like, during my college years. That makes so much sense. If anyone is listening to this podcast who is unfamiliar with Anne of Green Gables, that strikes me as extremely unlikely, but I will give a very quick background just to sort of orient everybody in place and time. So Anne of Green Gables was first published in 1908, and it was Lucy Maud Montgomery's first published novel. It was an immediate hit. And within its first year had to be reprinted six times to meet demand. 
Anne of Green Gables tells the story of an 11-year-old orphan, Anne Shirley, who is mistakenly adopted by a bachelor brother and spinster sister on Prince Edward Island in Canada. The siblings had planned to adopt a boy who could help Matthew out on the farm, but due to a miscommunication, they had been sent an 11-year-old, red-headed, talkative girl, one who had been deeply neglected throughout her childhood, but with spark and spirit in abundance. The book chronicles Anne's life at Green Gables, uh, which is the name of the farmhouse that Matthew and Marilla live in, and the people that Anne meets and the effect that she has on the small town of Avonlea. Anne was so popular, Ella Montgomery wrote seven more books about her and her family, as we were just talking about, plus numerous short stories, all sort of set in that world. And those sort of make up what I am now calling the Montgomery verse. <laughs> I like that uh, term. I think we should use it. I think we should make it a thing. I think we should make it a thing. I think we need merch that says Montgomery verse. We will make it happen. Yep. Anne of Green Gables seems like a simple story. It's episodic in nature. The stakes are relatively small, but Anne leaves a mark on all those who read her book, and she has become an iconic figure in children's literature. And our reason for starting this podcast is that as two friends who've long cherished, I'm going to call her Maud now that we've named the Montgomery verse. Right. Now that we're, now that we're friends with her, we're going to call her Maud, which is what right. her friends called her. <laughs> what, what her friends called her. So in uh, Maud's writing, we have both really loved all of her writing. And this is a great way for us to geek out and explore something we love together. We wanted to dig deeper into this book and the others that follow it to explore the characters and the themes that are so rich and interesting. We're still talking about them. We also want to talk about why we connect so deeply to some of these books instead of to other, you know, classic books out there. How has that experience shaped each of us? How the books we've read become part of who we are? And to that end, we thought we would, what we'll probably do is we'll break down this book by character and do a bit of character study on each of the significant characters and how each of those characters illustrate a running theme or a historical reality that might've influenced our friend Maude. We will also do a plot overview and we'll explore some of the ways that Anne has been portrayed in other media. Very much looking forward to exploring how Anne has been portrayed in other media. There has been, in addition to the series that we mentioned before, there has been a recent Netflix show about it. There's an Anne of Green Gables graphic novel. There's an animated series. Anne has a lot of, she has a lot of fans and a wide reach. And I think it's going to be really fun to see how different generations have sort of picked up on her throughout the years, which brings me to another question. We were wondering, why is it that Anne of Green Gables is so enduring? I mean, this is a book that is at this point well over a century old and it truly has worldwide popularity and its popularity does not seem to have ever really gone away in all of this time. It's been pretty consistent. The book has been consistently in print. There have always been adaptations of it. You know, what is so special about Anne? Well, I think Anne in particular is such an enduring literary character because she's so wonderfully multifaceted. She's very human with lots of flaws, but she's a wonderful friend who's loyal and determined and deeply imaginative she has a generosity of spirit and an openness to learning. And I think that lets her grow and evolve. She's not 
stuck in time. Maud has really created a somewhat utopian community in Avonlea. And that's such a balm to imagine as real, especially when the world gets hard. And she has a real gift for writing comic iconic moments that are easy to relive and immortalize in the retelling or show on the screen. I mean, you just think about Anne's red braids, think of her breaking a slate over Gilbert's head or drifting in a pond in a sinking boat because she's play acting a favorite moment from literature. There's just something in those moments that are so specific to Anne. And I think she's become immortalized because of those scenes. Think about like Dorothy and her ruby slippers, you know, has that same sort of kind of iconic image. And of course, Montgomery's writing is so quotable. Even in this day of Instagram images and memes, she keeps living on in those little snippets. I always see, you know, in October, you always see the, it's so lovely to live in a world where mm-hmm. there are Octobers printed over some orange and red foliage. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> and when isn't it appropriate to use, my life is a perfect graveyard of buried hopes, which is what I quote to my daughter when uh, she complains about having to unload the dishwasher or <laughs> I'm well in body, although considerably rumpled up in spirit, which is just the most perfect description. Yeah, there's never a wrong time to use I'm well in body, although considerably rumpled up in spirit. I love so many of those classic anisms. I am also definitely the lady who is sharing the October quote on Instagram, along with, you know, pictures of uh, trees. <laughs> honestly, this whole podcast could probably just be me quoting my favorite passages from Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> One that just springs to mind. I I recently listened to Anne of Green Gables on audiobook, which I had never done before, but just to sort of force myself to slow down and really absorb it instead of like speed reading it through, like, you know, you always do with those books that you love. And one of the quotes that just stopped me in my tracks um, is Anne, she doesn't even know that she is going to be living at Green Gables. She's, you know, in the depths of despair. Her life is a perfect graveyard of buried hopes. She has no idea if Marla is going to keep her or not. She's kind of in this like weird betwixt and between. However, that does not stop her from getting totally mesmerized by a bee. And she says to Marilla, oh, look, here's a big bee just tumbled out of an apple blossom. Just think what a lovely place to live in an apple blossom. Fancy going to sleep in it when the wind was rocking it. If I wasn't a human girl, I think I'd like to be a bee and live among the flowers. And I just started laughing because I was like, of course, she's just going to be a bee and live among the flowers. Why not? I, like Reagan, I, I agree that I that Anne is enduring because she is so singular and yet also so relatable. Um, I heard a piece of advice about writing memorable characters that if you write characters who are incredibly specific, you will end up with a character who is also very relatable because so many people will be able to see themselves in that character. And I think that that is very true of Anne particularly. I know that reading those books as a child, I found a kindred spirit in Anne because of how she romanticized her life and how imaginative and daydreamy she was. But as I grew up, I also saw myself in her ambition and pride, in her scholastic achievements, you know, the depth of her friendships and her sense of humor. I mean, somehow as specific as she is as a character, as singular as she is as a character, 
she's also an every girl and she knows it she she tells marilla at one point there's such a lot of different ands in me i sometimes think that is why i'm such a troublesome person if i was just the one Anne, it would be ever so much more comfortable but then it wouldn't be half so interesting and I think that readers have to agree with that, right? It is because she is a little bit of everything that she's so delightful to spend time with. And then also, I mean, these books are, these books last because the Montgomery verse is such a delicious place to escape to. It's sweet and easy. It's nostalgic. It's, you know, kind of utopian, as you said. There are little foibles that are easily resolved and there are characters who feel like people you know, who feel like family almost. And also these books are hilarious. These books are really funny. Like I said, I was listening to the audiobook and I kept laughing out loud so many times. I think some of that you miss when you read that in childhood because you're identifying with Anne and the other children so directly. But when you see it from the perspective of adulthood, I mean, these are very, very funny books, even still 100 years later. And there's something about it which is like, they're almost like the literary equivalent of watching a favorite classic sitcom. You know the characters, you know the world, you know the sets, you love them, you know you're going to laugh, and you know that it's all going to resolve in the end. I hadn't thought of that till you said that just now, but, you know, we've been talking about kind of the episodic nature of these books, and that's a little bit different from maybe the way more modern authors write middle grade fiction now. And I was thinking about, I hadn't thought of it, but it's kind of like a classic sitcom. Yes. Tune in every week to find out what fun adventures your favorite characters are up to, you know, that, you know, you're going to see something interesting and fun and maybe you'll cry a little bit and it'll probably be all wrapped up as the credits roll, but ready for a new adventure next time. Yes, absolutely. And I think that there is, when you're talking about some of that indelible iconography of Anne, right, the red braids or breaking the slate over Gilbert's head, you know, even though these are books, even though this is a written medium, they're so visual in that way. And I think that's where I was really making that sitcom connection, right? Like just as you can picture the the floor plan of the Brady Bunch's house, I can tell you exactly where every room in Green Gables is. Absolutely. I And I think you're right. It also relates to the way she paints all of these other characters in this way that make them very relatable and knowable, right? Yes. That they are. Also, you think about why people love rewatching favorite sitcoms when they need like just a comfort dose. And yes. that's because you could pick up any episode anywhere and just watch it. You And you don't have to have it connected to the bigger story. You could just tune into any episode of The Office or Friends or whatever your favorite kind of sitcom, watch your favorite people interact on for half an hour. And that's the nice thing about the books. When I'm tired or sad, or I need kind of a nostalgic hit, I can pick up Anne and just read a couple of favorite chapters. I don't have to read the whole thing. 
you don't have to go through the whole emotional arc of the book, although it's lovely when you do, but you really can read just about her play acting the Lady of Shalott and falling, you know, and nearly drowning in Barry's Pond, excuse me, the Lake of Shining Waters. You know, depending on what you're in the mood for, you can just kind of pick up any couple of chapters and go do it for that comfort read. These books work on a lot of different levels. Like you were saying, there's layers and layers. Layers to people in the community too. You know, we were talking about them being recognizable. And I think one thing we'll talk about later is a lot of the people in these books are almost archetypal. So Mm. it's not just people who you recognize from having read the books, but people who you recognize because they sort of take up a certain spot in our collective storytelling, like Mrs. Lind, the busybody neighbor, Diana as, you know, the beautiful best friend, all of these kind of roles feel super familiar to us even before we know exactly who they are in these books just think that there is that sort of instant connection that you can make with them that makes it all feel just very integrated into your life right away absolutely so the name of the podcast is kindred spirits book club so we wanted to break down what makes a kindred spirit and who are kindred spirits You and I were talking when we were preparing for the podcast about the idea of kindred spirits. And we were talking earlier and kind of pointing out that early on in the book, Anne is awfully loose with the term kindred spirit. It seems like she uses it very easily. She immediately identifies Matthew as a kindred spirit on the ride home from the station. Right. And he didn't say more than like six words to her that entire drive, which is absolutely right. I knew he was a kindred spirit because he listened to me. Um, That's how I feel about my husband, actually. And she immediately connects with Diana at that first meeting. Like she goes into the meeting of Diana, hoping for a kindred spirit. She immediately has her vow to be bosom friends. And on the walk home from uh, that first visit with Diana, she tells Marilla that Diana is a kindred spirit. And Anne likes them because they like her and they like her just as she she is, even though they're both a bit bewildered by her. But their first response is acceptance and openness to Anne. And she's a girl who had been neglected, abused, and constantly told that she's unlovable. Anne never tries to make herself smaller to make people like her. So the people that do like her, well, they must be kindred spirits. At first I was thinking, oh, this is kind of shallow, like, but on second thought, it's at its simplest level. Isn't that what a kindred spirit is? Someone who likes us as we are and who we like as they are. And I was thinking because Anne is so perfectly herself, she's someone who isn't afraid to say what she thinks, sometimes to her detriment. She wears her heart on her sleeve, sometimes to her detriment. Anyone who isn't trying to make her be different, anyone who isn't telling her to be quiet or to be more decorous has already passed the first and most important test of kindred spiritness. Anne's character is already this lovely filter. It immediately filters out anyone who is not up for her kind of frank friendship or big imagination and quick intelligence. So maybe that's actually not a shallow way to identify a kindred spirit. So that made me think a little bit about myself and who I think of as a kindred spirit. And honestly, Anne's not wrong. Those people I feel most myself around are my kindred spirits. And the people I feel most comfortable with are people that encourage me to 
geek out about the things that I love, that will follow me down a conversational rabbit hole, that want to understand why I love the things that I do and celebrate the things that are important to me and want me to do the same for them. So what I look for in a kindred spirit is somebody who's open and curious about others, has empathy and has interests in common. So other folks who have read and loved Anne of Green Gables, it's kind of a sign to me that they also value those qualities. Loving the same books can be sort of a shortcut in finding a kindred spirit, I think. It's not a guarantee, of course, but it's a starting place. It kind of reminds me how when I was in middle school, I kind of felt on the outskirts of things. I wasn't quite sure how to connect with other kids all of a sudden. And one of the things that got me through middle school was reading. In part, it was because I had a place to go when I didn't fit in anywhere else. And in part, it was a reminded reminder that kindred spirits were out there and I didn't have to settle for anything less than that in friendship. I was willing to wait it out to find some kindred spirits. And like Anne, that was my own filter. Unlike Anne, I had a lot more walls up. Like I definitely did not trust the other seventh graders to <laughs> uh, be my bosom friends. So I might've filtered out folks maybe a little earlier than I needed to, but it worked out fine in the end. And my favorite book characters were there to let me know that it was okay if everyone didn't like me because there were people out there who would or would eventually grow to like me. And I think that's something I unknowingly learned from Anne to not pretend to be someone other than you are and your kindred spirits will be people who think you're great just the way you are. I think that is so beautifully stated. I love thinking about middle school Reagan um, who is holding out for friends who are going to be as good to her as Anne was to her friends. Um, and I think that's also so right. It's an amazing lesson that Anne is teaching almost unwittingly that that your kindred spirits are going to be the people who make you feel most yourself and changing yourself, changing your personality so that way you can find friends or find connections or find communities is never going to be as rewarding as simply just boldly moving through your life as yourself and then finding the people who want to bask in the light that you're shining. So yeah, a beautiful lesson from Anne and one that I'm glad that we and so many other readers had available to us even as young kids. I bet to your other point about um, being able to filter out friends by who is an Anne reader, that is also something that I have found in my adult life. Every time that I have met another uh, person who loves Anne of Green Gables or the Montgomery verse writ large, it's almost always the sign of a kindred spirit. There was a couple of years ago, a colleague of mine told me that she loved Anne of Green Gables. It came up actually in the context of her name, which was also Anne. And she said she always wished that it was Anne with an E, like Anne of Green Gables. And I was sitting in her office and I remember just having this like whole body relaxation moment as soon as she said that, like, oh, a kindred spirit, like I'm safe. Like we're yeah, going to find common me. ground. This person yeah. gets me. Um, and it ended up being a very true premonition because now five years later, she is, you know, among my dearest friends and someone who I cherish very much. When I think about kindred spirits, I think I also 
see them as having uh, what the kids on TikTok call main character energy, or they appreciate main character energy. Not that they are necessarily the center of attention or, you know, sort of pulling focus from other people, but just that they are moving through their lives in a way where they are really appreciating all of the beauty and drama and pathos inherent in it. You know, you think about Anne, who, of course, wanted good things to happen, but also didn't mind reveling in misery from time to time either, right? She really just... Absolutely. Whatever was on her plate at any particular moment, she just threw herself in it. And I think that as you move through the world, you do find people who live their lives like that. And those are those are your kindred spirits, I think. I was thinking, you know, if Anne were modern, she would definitely be one of those people that had her own soundtrack queued up yes. on Spotify and would absolutely be imagining herself walking through the halls of school to... Yes. Uh, yes. Right. Like she, oh, yes, completely. Just as I have my like walking the dog soundtrack on Spotify, where I'm like walking through our local park with like elegant classical music playing in the background. So that way I can like perfectly picture myself as though I'm Mrs. Darcy striding across the lawns at Pemberley. I am sure that that is also <laughs> what a contemporary Anne would be doing. A hundred percent. This is a girl who would definitely have a theme song. Yes. I think that's something we should probably try to do at some point, pick up Anne's yes. theme song. <laughs> you're going to be very good at that. Much better at that than me. <laughs> All right. If anybody has any suggestions, you're going to have to let us know. I also think, you know, when thinking about who, who is a kindred spirit, I think about Anne's great advice. And I think it's almost a definition in, in a way. She says, it's been my experience that you can nearly always enjoy things if you make up your mind firmly that you will. And I think people who believe that and who can do that, I think those are more likely than not kindred spirits. Yeah, I love that idea. I don't think you can love Anne of Green Gables and be deeply cynical at the no. same time. There's no, this sadly core, not. <laughs> no, there's this core element to Anne that's just this, this hope and this ability to see the goodness in the world. And so other people who love Anne love that as well, or at least that has often been my experience. That's right. You know, if you relate to Anne, you you want to you want to find the beauty in the world. You want to find the beauty in the world, and you want to live in the most elegant version of the world. And I don't mean elegant in terms of like ballrooms and ball gowns, although Anne definitely loved that. But I mean it in terms of just, I guess the most emotionally complex and complete version of the world. Oh, yes, I love that. Anyway, <laughs> so as you can see, Reagan and I have lots to say about this. And as we continue with this podcast, <laughs> we will continue to explore more about the characters uh, that populate Avonlea and how they illustrate the themes that are woven throughout Maud's story. We cannot wait for you to join us on this adventure. And so why don't we leave the podcast today with a classic Anne quote to see us out. She says, isn't it splendid to think of all the things there are to find out about? It just makes me feel glad to be alive. It's such an interesting world. It wouldn't be half so interesting if we knew all about everything, would it? There'd be no scope for imagination then, would there? There definitely wouldn't be, Anne. 
Well, join us next time, friends.